welcome to Back to Excited, episode 195. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Foolman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Foolman? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Um, we are coming to you on a Monday evening, probably almost certainly Tuesday by the time you're listening to this, um, because some real-life stuff caught in the way of our usual recording schedule, but we persevere nonetheless. Yeah, I'd like to share with all of you why we had to reschedule. It was my fault. I was away on Sunday morning. Because a buddy of mine and I, who were in a band together, I'm being generous by even calling it a band, uh, when we were like 17 and 18, we were like, we're going to get together and we're going to do a song and we're going to do all this sort of stuff and make music again. And um, we did. I won't inflict it on any of you because I love you all too much. <laughs> but that is why this is coming to you a day late. So anyway, it's fun. by the way, I'm going to actually like finish this with like a a Sesame Street moral of the story here. Do something creative once in a while. Like, whatever it is, make something. Like, I, I don't knock video games or whatever else as, like, a time killer, by all means. But just make something um, once in a while. You will feel more fulfilled if you have some product at the end of it where you can point to it and say, imperfect though it may be, hey, I made that. So, yeah. Like this podcast. Exactly. You know? Which <laughs> is coming up on 200 episodes. Yes. <laughs> In defiance of the critics and the odds. <laughs> the haters didn't want us to. <laughs> didn't, never, no one thought we'd, we'd, we'd make it here. No, nobody believed in us. Uh, yeah. You know, first off, I'd like to thank God. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so we're going to um, take a, a look this episode at Kyle Dubas's off-season acquisitions, basically. That, that's, that's the overarching theme of this episode. We're about halfway through the NHL season, and... Rather than repeat ourselves saying the same things we've said about, you know, Matthews and Nylander and Tavares like a million times and do midseason grades, um, let's talk a little bit about the new guys. You know, Dubas is obviously a very important figure in Leafland. Um, he's been the center of a culture war, which I don't think he really wanted. No. Um, and there is a very good chance that he is not the GM of this team uh, in about six months. Yeah, uh, a painfully large one. And I do also think this is relevant in the context of analyzing should uh, Dubas continue to be the GM. Because whoever they are, they're probably still going to be trying to build a team around Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, please, John Tavares. William Nylander may get traded, even though that seems like a bad idea to me. So, yeah, I mean, all things considered, I think that this... Even if it's talking about some guys who are very much supporting cast members, put generously, um, probably reflects a lot of what he has to do. Um, we did also include a couple of trades that he's made in season, just to add yes. some spice. It, it is worth noting. I mean, we we said last year. I, I, let me be more. I said last year that there was a not crazy case for trading William Nylander in this past off season, mm -hmm. right? And, and the argument was based on he had good, not phenomenal. Um, play driving numbers, you know, stepped down from his best. He just came off a career year where his shooting really spiked and it's like somewhat unclear whether that would continue or whether he would revert to his uh, career norms. And I mean, I'm, I, I said this with no glee, as longtime listeners know, we are very big fans of William Nylander and have been, you know, since 2014, effectively. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in detail towards the end, but one of the moves Dubas did not make was he didn't trade William Nylander and that has turned out to be very smart so far. Yes. Nylander um, is tearing shit up. Yes, he's been players. really, really good this year. Been part of one of the best lines in the league with, with Austin Matthews. Which, I mean, Austin Matthews does that with other people as well. Mitch Marner, most notably. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Nylander has been, has been very good. Has flashed the same shooting and setting up talent that we all believed existed for, for so long. And he, he's really making good on his, on his talent and on his promise. Right? And I say this to say, there's a not crazy argument for trading William Neander this offseason, too, depending on what happens, <laughs> right? So, yeah. so basically, just to, just to build off your point, like, we, we can be reasonably confident that Matthews, Neander, or sorry, Matthews, Marner, and Tavares are going to be on the Leafs. Um, Matthews, if he leaves, it'll be of his own volition. It is certainly not because the Leafs don't want him. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Neander has a lot of bad reasons to trade him and also possibly some reasonable ones. And it'll depend a lot on what happens this off season or in, or in the postseason. Um, but anyways, we will, we'll set that aside for now. The first person we're going to talk about another Swede is Kali Yarncroke. 
Yes. Kelly Yarncroke was considered a bit of a disappointment in the first few weeks of the season. He's come into his own a little bit. And by coming to his own, I mean that he started having a shooting run. Um, that always makes everyone feel better. And a lot of how you feel about Kelly Yarncroke probably relies on how you feel about that shooting. Um, he's actually fourth on the team in points per 60 among regular Leafs. That's a 5v5. So he's behind Matthews, Marner, and Elander, and he's ahead of John Tavares. It's pretty crazy. Um, that's good. It's coming off a uh, pretty high uh, individual points percentage, which means that when the puck goes in for, well, for the Leafs while he's on the ice, he's getting a point on it a lot of the time. And that's to a certain extent luck, especially when you consider he's probably not um, the best player on the ice most of the time. And when he's been on the ice, especially with Tavares and Marner, they've been relatively low event. So, like, there hasn't been that many goals for or against. And the ones that have happened to go in are ones that he's had a hand in. Mm-hmm. Which is right? not to and knock him. Said, it's just to say, yes. you know, it's, it's higher than almost anyone else on the team. Yes. Uh, yeah. Also worth noting, um, the contract that he signed, four years, $2.1 million per year. Yes. And he's 31. So that's in the back of our head. Um, a lot of Dubas's supplementary moves are over pretty quickly in a year or two. Uh, this one has a bit of tail risk. Um, I feel a bit weird evaluating Cali Yarncroke because on the other hand, he slotted in at second line left wing. For a second line left wing, he's quite cheap. And he's been decent. And the thing is, is that by virtue of being somewhere that is probably a bit above his talent level in terms of the location and the lineup, he's got numbers that are better than they probably would be. And so I have a hard time evaluating like what I actually think of this. I think, you know, like I think it's fine. But is my every worry set aside? I don't know. He's a good player for sure. Um, Absolutely. I think I'm a little higher on what he's done on the second line than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I-, I mentioned this, we both mentioned this actually when we signed him. Yarncroke has a surprisingly heavy shot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a 40 goal scorer, he never has been, and never will be really. Um, but throughout his career, he's flashed some actual finishing talent. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is, there is an interpretation of his hot streak on the second line, which acknowledges he's been a little bit lucky. But also, he is now a guy playing with by far the most talented linemates he's ever had. Yeah, and he's a routine 10 to 20 goal guy. Like, he's in in scoring in the teens, basically. And he's probably going to do it again. He's got nine already. Right. So, like, there's there's a not crazy case for, like, okay, like, he's he's done all right here. I mean, as I said, like, the, the line of him, Tavares, and Marner has been kind of a lower event grouping than we would like. Um, and I say that because you look at this team's offense outside of the top two lines, and it's really Pierre Engvall. And no, I cannot believe that I just said Pierre Engvall is like a source of Leafs offense, but when you look at it, he has been. Right? Um, so like the Yarncroach first Marner line has good numbers when together. Like 56% Corsi, 60% expect goals, 55% goals for. And so they're not getting like, they're not really riding PDO. They're actually getting, you know, pretty horrible goaltending when they're on the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I do, I do buy that Yarncroke and uh, Marner in particular are two of our better defensive forwards. Sure. And they have stabilized that line defensively. And there is enough skill there for them to like outscore their opposition. I'd like them to do it at a higher rate just because like i guess my predispositions i'd like this line to be tilted more offensively i think when things get bad for the leafs it's when they don't have kind of that red blob of death in front of their net on all the heat map in front of the opposing team's net on heat maps this line hasn't done a great job of getting to the front of the net um it's been a lot of like neutral zone sludge mm-hmm. so but but nonetheless like he's been good there and i think the way i would describe yarn crow generally is he's been better than i expected him to be on the second line, and worse than I expected him to be on the fourth and third lines. Mm-hmm. Right? And and that's a tricky thing to evaluate, because when he was on the third and fourth lines, it was early in the year, the Leafs in general were kind of scuffling, they were still figuring stuff out, Yarncroak was still adjusting. Um, Yarncroak has said, you know, multiple times that he takes a while to, to adjust. He has been a guy who kind of famously has always gone for term deals. 
he had that like sort of i wouldn't say famous because like <laughs> I think famous among people term. like us so. yeah famous among nerds yeah he had like a, a six-year two million dollar deal with nashville right long-term low aav that's been his mo he seems to like stability mm-hmm. right and so reading into that like maybe you could say well first few games you know he, he's getting used to a new city a new country new line mates he, he maybe what we've seen more recently is um closer to the real him i think that's a little bit of a rosy interpretation mm. so yeah i mean the the thing that does give me some pause is like i don't know if he's much of a play driver anymore certainly not offensively mm-hmm. he has some i think defensive ability but like i think really his offensive skill his best offensive skill now might be finishing and that also makes me worry like if the Leafs as we have suggested and as many have suggested get an upgrade at second line left wing and push Yarn Croak down he might not be you know as good as we would like in a position lower down in the lineup right one of the big advantages of getting good players at the top of lineup over top of players who are already there is well now suddenly you have a super old overqualified third line mm-hmm. right or a super overqualified fourth line but if Yarncrook isn't actually going to be better, significantly better than, say, Pontus Holmberg. You know, that, that's kind of a, a small thing that, that eats at the margins of making such an acquisition. Yeah, and you can make an argument to say, okay, upgraded third-line center, and everyone is thinking Ryan O'Reilly. Um, Pierre Lebrun put it in uh, an article today uh, as, as one example, and, of course, he suits a lot of narratives, too. Uh, cup-winning, very gifted two-way center. Um I can certainly see the argument, even though he's having a rough year and he is currently injured, so buyer beware. Um, yeah, I think with Yarn Croak, I come down on saying he's a very decent player, he's a decent shooter, but it does worry me that he didn't do more in that lesser role, which is really where his talent belongs. Mm-hmm. And we might talk about this a little bit in the context of an inferior player to Yarn Croak, who is Dennis Malgan. Um, who has the skill set that kind of suggests he should be higher in the lineup and yet can't really function as well lower in the lineup according to coaches' expectations. In other words, a top six or bust player. Um, Yarn Croak isn't that, but he's at a level where it's like you aren't making lineup decisions based on what's going to maximize Cali Yarn Croak, so he has to do a lot with a little in most situations. Right now, he's kind of in uh, the catbird seat. We'll see how long it lasts. But... Right now, I give this move, from Dubas's perspective, a B. Yeah, I, I gave a B plus. I mean, I think the the slightly worrying thing is, you know, the the downside scenario of Yarncroke is not that great lower down in the lineup. We probably don't want him in the best version of the least playing as the second line left wing, and we still have him for three more years. Where presumably he's going to be getting a little bit worse each year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you you referenced um, Wayne Simmons in our notes of like, it doesn't take, people can, you know, the end can come pretty quick. Yeah, uh, in your early 30s. And I'm not saying it's guaranteed to, and it depends on the guy, but it's just, we've seen people get old fast. That's all. Yeah. Uh, That sound, it sounds bleaker than I probably want to sound about a guy Mm -hmm. who's playing pretty decently and it's all good. Right. We we gave like above average grades. Yeah. Right. The, the, The fact of the matter is, if you have a guy who is capably deputizing in a top six role for two million, that's a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, like, he doesn't have to be that good to be worth it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, this is a funny little back to excited mea culpa. We talk about Nicholas Abe Kubel, who we were probably disproportionately excited about mm-hmm. on the uh, offseason acquisitions pods when he signed for a year and one million. He wound up getting waived. He was claimed by the Washington Capitals on waivers. Uh, He put up a respectable six points in 14 games played, but as the Caps have gotten healthier, he's still wound up healthy scratched. So pretty much a total washout on this one from the Leafs' perspective, we have to admit. Yep. Um, Yeah. uh, yeah. So, I mean, I gave an F just on the the principle that if you sign a guy and then waive him in the same year, like, (laughs) it's a failed signing. Yeah, I... I gave it a D, which is really not that justifiable because it's like, yeah, it didn't work. But it's just I, I on mean, the perspective. I think, I think yeah. I think it's justifiable in the sense that, like, you could say an F is reserved for contracts that are going to have an impact on the team going forward. And, like, yeah. this has zero impact on the team going forward. Yeah. They tried it. It didn't work. There's no consequence. Yeah. And for contracts of this value, you accept a certain number of them aren't going to work. 
It's like, you know, I don't give um, a pair of dice um, an F for producing a, a number between one and three sometimes. I should mm -hmm. actually give a paradise an F for producing a one because that means something's fucked up with the two dice. Anyway, um, yeah, the point is, is that we expected probably more than he was able to provide. We thought he would be more of a forechecking presence. We uh, we were excited about this super defense line around him and David Kampf and Zach Aston Reese, and it just straight up didn't work. There mm -hmm. wasn't enough transition ability there, and they were used hyper defensively. So like. They basically had to live in the defensive zone. But the result was you had guys with very little offensive flair and very little transition ability. So even though they were maybe doing a lot of the right things, I think, in their own zone, they just lived there. Mm -hmm. And even if you're doing a real good job, as we know from myriad examples throughout Leafs history, if you spend too much time in your own zone, you get burnt eventually. Yes. I mean, well, and going back to, to Yarncroke for a second, like this, I think maybe this is one of the things that hurts him and has hurt him at least a little bit playing lower on, lower down in the lineup. I feel like the Leafs, quote unquote, bottom sixers who have some transition ability are Engvall kind of in a tier of his own, and then Alex Kerfoot. Yeah, and then like everyone else, more yeah. or less. And Yarncroke needed to be at, like kind of at least at the Kerfoot level. Mm -hmm. at, at that, he he wasn't when he played there that I saw. All right, this is like totally like eye testy here. So uh, maybe it's maybe someone has the neutral zone numbers that show that like Yarncroke's acting much better than Kerfoot at transitioning. But like I'd be kind of surprised if that was the case. Yeah, to my eye test, and I think we even expected this from the offseason talking about Yarncroke. We said he's decent defensively, and there's not a lot of offense except that he can finish at a mm -hmm. respectable level, and that's kind of been borne out. And so on a Leafs bottom six, which is basically designed for okay, we have no money. We are going to pay a bunch of guys who can be hyper-defensive and just try to slow the game down. Yarncroke can do a bit of that, but it means that his vaunted shooting ability may not get a, a chance to prove itself. And mm -hmm. I, I think NAK probably shows the limitations of that approach. Like, when we talk about, okay, we could go and get Timo Meyer if we sign a bottom six where everybody makes a million. Well, I think... The downside case you see from that is that you end up with a third line, like what we saw from Kampf, Abe Kubel, and Zach Aston Reese, where it's like we've cheaped out. They're all, you know, doing certain things well, but there's just nothing in terms of offense. And not to get too doomer about this, but like, you know, Pierre Engvall is a UFA as well. Yes. Right? And if he goes, like, they're, they're re like, Engvall is a surprisingly important player for the Leafs. Again, cannot really believe I'm saying that. I People, um, okay. I actually think people have been way too hard on Engvall for a while because they remember him not scoring. And I'm thinking that Michael McCurdy quote where it's like your yeah. classic memory of a middle six forward will be him not scoring a lot. But he's really useful in a lot of things. And people expect more from him because he can skate and he's huge. He has unbelievable physical gifts. Yeah. Right. That goal he scored, it wasn't against Boston where he, he, like, he just goes end to end and snipes it. Yeah. And it's right? like, you know, actually, Linus Ulmark had a rare, like, he probably should have had that to my eye. Yes. But still, yeah, Engvall just created space against a really, really difficult Bruins defense by skating through them. And not many people can do that, as their goal differential will attest. So, yes, yes. Uh, people knock Pierre Engvall. They made fun of him for saying he was going to score 20 goals, too. And he probably won't, but he'll get 15. I mean, it's not, he scored not 15 last year, right? Sure. Like, yeah. It's not the craziest thing in the world. Um, Have dreams. So, yeah, I mean, like, like we'll, we'll miss him the same way we miss Mikheyev. It doesn't mean I want Mikheyev's contract, mm. right? But, like, yes, the Leafs would be better if they had Oye Mikheyev, for sure. He, he's a good player. Yeah, and, like, the Mikheyev contract, we were pretty measured about it when Vancouver signed it, and we said, like, this is, like, an ordinary problem, but, like, it's not terrible, and he's a good player. And that's it exactly also didn't really what it really makes. It also doesn't make sense for Vancouver, because they're not a good team. No, and that's the problem with everything Vancouver has done and is still doing. There was a presser today where Jim Rutherford said, uh, it's a retool, not a rebuild, which I'm almost certain Jim Benning actually said that, maybe even in those exact words, like, eight years ago. I swear to God. Like, if he didn't say that, he said something very close to it. And <laughs> wow, how has it gone? Um, yeah. Any, okay, this is not a Vancouver bashing pod. But 
Yeah, anyway, Nicolas Abe Kubel, we've got to take the Nicolas Abe L on that one. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't want to dignify that with a response. Arvin's going to give me a grade at the end of the podcast, and it's going to be an F2. <laughs> uh. So from, so from, one, um, from NNK to ZAR, uh, Zach Aston Reese signed as a UFA for a year and 840K or thereabouts. So, I mean, he, he's a third of the line that we just, like, spent 10 minutes or so being like, hey, we thought the sound would be awesome, and it sucked. <laughs> um, the difference is Aston Reese has was not waived, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. And, and, and has continued to play. Um, I, I like Aston Reese. Maybe I'm holding on to my prior too much here of I just kind of... I think it's sort of useful to have, situationally, a guy who is the total shut-it-down guy. Yeah. Right. Um, Aston Reese has zero offense. None. Zip, zilch, nada. No offensive upside whatsoever. Um, and that really was a problem with that failed line that we, that, that we talked about. More recently, I mean, actually, the, the numbers with that line, the Aston Reese camp, Abe Kubel line, have kind of sewered Aston Reese's numbers throughout the season. Right. If you look at it now, they're still not very good. Um, but more recently, he's been playing more relatively consistently, usually with Pontus Holmberg and then a rotating cast of other guys on the wing, including Dryden Hunt, Bobby McMahon for a couple games, Joey Anderson for a handful. And that line hasn't been a disaster. Um, it hasn't been like an amazing strength either. Again, like with these players, we cannot get great offense from this, right? Mm-hmm. So this this is like hopefully a low event line. Um, Holmberg is the most offensively gifted of these guys that I've seen, you know, pen- pending McMahon. Um, who we really haven't seen enough in the NHL level, and I don't follow the AHL close enough to know his offensive upside. Yeah, I mean, some people, for what it's worth, and again, I don't know enough about the Marlies. I trust the people who do. They speak highly of his offensive upside. Um, Him as a scorer, so maybe there's something there. Uh, With regard to Aston Reese, he feels to me like a Boston-type player, and we just Mm. saw a whole lot of Boston-type players playing Boston, as one would expect. Uh, the, the guy I compared yeah. him to in terms of my expectations was Sean Corrali, mm. who was like a fourth line center for Boston for years, who was one of the rare depth players who like, was those uber defensive guys who did it against much tougher competition than, you know, than people would naively expect. Like the, he would get matched up against top six players and you know, if not shut them down, at least limit them to some degree. And that, that was very effective because it allowed Boston to deploy, in some cases, Bergeron or Krejci more, more effectively, more offensively. And we ran into Corelli in the Columbus series, and he was not a fun guy to play against then either. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Boston, as you probably saw on Saturday, they are on you instantly, more than any team in the league. Um, they just pressure you relentlessly. There is not an uncontested inch on the ice. Zach Aston Reese operates basically like that. And he has no offense whatsoever. So you kind of know that going in. But for a 12th forward, I will take a guy who is like that, especially considering yeah. he costs uh, 840K. Yes. So I, I think he's fine as a 12th forward. I think I was, this might have been a problem with my expectations. I was hoping that he could be more than that. Like you wouldn't describe Corrali as the 12th forward on Boston when he mm-hmm. played there. Right. For sure. Um, so, ultimately, I gave this a B. I mean, it, it, anytime you have a guy who is like just kind of you're okay with him in the NHL, it's, he's a, a year eight forty k. That's totally fine. Yeah, I, I gave it a B plus just because my expectations were so low. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's fine. The only thing I want to say is like, he shouldn't even be the best player on your fourth line, really. <laughs> Zach mm-hmm. Aston Reese, like. The offense is that poor that you need someone else to drive the bus a little bit. So keep that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. Now we get to talk about a couple of defense extensions. Actually, before we do, oh, can we? Yeah. Can we? Um, I don't know why the Leafs haven't played Joey Anderson more. Hmm. That's a good question. Because they did right, play like, him a little bit. They did play him a bit, and it seems like they just weren't that impressed. And I mean, we could talk. Actually, we can talk about this more when we talk about Dryden Hunt, I suppose. But like. Mm-hmm. I I would rather play Anderson than Hunt. I, it's not like I know I'm not I'm not storming MLSE headquarters with this take. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a big deal, but yeah, I, I wanted to mention it there. Um, he got into we, seven we games, which is actually more yeah. than I recall him getting into. So maybe that's also part of why. But uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I thought yeah. I thought he was fine in those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, not incredibly noticeable, but um, 
I think he has a little. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a little too high on Anderson. It's it's certainly yeah. possible. I don't think he's injured now either. I think he just got sent down. Yeah. Well, I, he's I, also I, he's got 26 points in 27 games in the AHL. So that's, yes, he's been very good in the AHL. Yeah. Um, um, also, I think he's better than Dryden Hunt. Is really not <laughs> like that is not a huge hurdle. So no, it's not. I think yeah. not at all. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's uh, that's interesting. Do you actually do we want to wrap up the forwards before we uh? We can do that. Yeah, yeah let's, so let's talk about, uh, yeah. Dennis Malgan for Dryden Hunt. The trade heard around the world. I'm sure you were all fixed to your television and internet screens learning about it. Um, and, Le- and yeah, I, I, just, I just checked. Uh, Anderson was sent down to the minors, Jan 2nd. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's not an injury. Who knows? Uh, as regards Dennis Malgan, um, we liked to meme about him. I think he is the classic top six or bust player. I really do. You know, he's I mean, talented. I, I, I sort but... of, I sort of agree with the caveat that I think that's what he is in the eyes of coaches, which is ultimately what matters. Sure. But I, I liked him in the bottom six. I, I thought he added like a splash of, this guy can move the puck across the blue line to a couple lines that are in, you know, do not have that in abundance. Yeah. The thing is, he. He clearly did not... He didn't score nearly enough. That's the problem, yeah. right? Like, he, like, I think the quintessential Dennis Morgan move is like... Or Dennis Morgan shift is like... He does something where it's like, oh, that was, that was a nifty play. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the shot went into the goalie's crest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it didn't end in enough. And, but this is the thing. If Dennis Morgan is the third best player on an offensively tilted line, it would absolutely not stun me to see Dennis Morgan put up like 30 points in a season. Maybe more. Um... But there's not really a great reason to put Dennis Malgan in that situation because he's not really good enough to justify it. And so even though he's probably more talented than a lot of lower lineup players, like I think Dennis Malgan is probably a more talented player than Zach Aston Reese. But Zach Aston Reese is getting into the lineup every night and Dennis Malgan isn't. Um, and yeah, you know, Malgan actually played 23 games for the Leafs this year which is like not a trivial sample and he had four points. Well, if you're if your calling card is that I do add that splash of offense, I think you got to do a little better than that. Um, yeah, like the, the, the puck just wasn't going in the net enough and I can see the Leafs at some point just thinking, "Okay, like this is who he is. Like there yeah. it is there isn't some like latent shooting talent here that we should wait on. He might not just be getting unlucky. He's like a player who doesn't just he has everything but the finish at the NHL level." And that's just how it is. And, like, we'd rather... Like, if you take for a given that, like, Morgan is not going to finish well, mm-hmm. then I think there's a pretty reasonable argument for, for moving him on. But I, I did I did at least like the look of those lines more than what we've seen with Hunt. Hunt, I mean, I don't... I think he's been really, really forgettable to me, except I, he's taken, like, a couple dumb penalties. And against Boston, he bumped into Kerfoot at one point, which led to a goal against it's not great when those are your prime memories of one of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you can easily big mistake them because they're not on yes. enough to do a whole lot. But that, yeah. that, that, that's the tricky thing with any fourth liner, right? Right. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> you, you, have, you have like one gaffe and it's like, okay, well, that's going to take me four games to make up for because mm-hmm. I play like eight minutes. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing is you can make that gaffe and you're not playing a lot anyway. And if you really pit, piss the coach off, that can be it. You can be in the press box next game. And I will say, when we acquired Dryden Hunt, I thought, hey, this guy is a 13th forward when the team is finalized. Maybe lower. And so I haven't, you know, attached a great deal of importance to his play. I think we basically just said, okay, Dennis Malgan isn't going to be anything. Let's get a guy who is not really much of anything either, but probably suits the mold a little better. Yeah, I think I think they like the stylistic difference. Like he 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 has a reputation as more of a four checker. Yeah, right. I again, sure. I haven't been incredibly impressed by him. But this is like a this is a big board of meh. You know, like they're they're both marginal NHLers. I, I I'm saying here like oh I prefer Morgan, but like I'm again this is not a hill I'm gonna die on. Yeah, I mean this is a guy who when we got him had two points, both goals in 28 games. Like mm-hmm. yeah, keep keep the bar pretty low. Um, on defense, Jubas signed a pair of mirrored extensions. He apparently offered them at the same time. Uh, one of them got signed right away. One of them took several months to sign. 
But the first of them that we'll talk about is the one that took a couple of months, because I think that that's a bit more of a reflection on strategy from Dubas. He signed Rasmus Sandin, who is an RFA, two years at $1.4 million. And that's mostly a testament to Dubas' patience. Um, he just waited, and we got into two training camp. Um, and finally, as Jake Muzzin got injured, Rasmus Sandin, whose concern was apparently playing time, um, said, okay, I'll take the deal that's on the table, two years at 1.4. Um, yeah, that was the right decision to wait, not to lose patience with the player. And now the Leafs have a good, at least third pairing, and showing glimpses of second pairing uh, defensemen signed for value this year and next. Good stuff. Yes, I've I'm, I'm been very happy with, um, with Sandin's development this year. And now, granted, it took a bunch of injuries to get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, like, the, the, the situation with Jake Muslin, where it, it kind of looks like his career is done-ish, yeah. mm-hmm. um, is pretty sad in, is. in a lot of ways. Muslin's a very good player, by all counts, very respected. And like, that's just a rough situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of Sandine's career, it was like inarguably a positive thing for him. It did like, open a door for him. And, I, like, you know, that's the, the, the most brutal aspect of the sport is that sometimes yeah. the reasons that you get opportunities are not always the nice ones, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not. It's not and, and to be clear, I'm not saying like no, Sandine's, no, no, like, happy Muslim got hurt not. or anything. No. Um, but just, like, strictly from Sandine's uh, ability to make a case for himself and his career earnings, like, this has, frankly, gave him an opportunity to play in the, in the top four. And a conjunction and, of more injuries really meant that yes. he had to lean on Sandin and Lilligren when that might not have been his inclination on a healthy right. roster. And yeah. I think the thing that Sandin and Lilligren, and we'll get to, them both, uh, to both of them, they deserve credit for, is they took that and ran. They played very well together. Like, no, no qualifiers there. They, they weren't, like, elite. You know, there wasn't, like, Kale McCarr re- reincarnated. I, I say reincarnated as if he's dead. Um, <laughs> It, was, it wasn't as if we had, like, Kale McCarr on, on, on the Leafs' back end. We've gotten really but... morbid in the last two minutes about these defensemen. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, they've, they've performed well together. And the concern with Sandine was, okay, so he's a third-pairing guy. You can buy those at Walmart somewhat in a, in a hockey sense. You know, they're, they're not that difficult to acquire, as mm-hmm. I think a trade we'll talk about a little later kind of shows. Um but yeah, so Sandine did well. From Duba's perspective, I think it's a testament, as I said, to his patience. Just don't get rushed into doing anything stupid. And that sounds like it should be easy. Because like he was dealing with an RFA where like he held all the cards pretty well. Yes. No one was offer shooting Rasmus Sandine. Um, so it just meant don't lose your temper or your patience. And yet, we've seen teams act emotionally... Uh, even good GMs have rushed into decisions that they've come to regret. Dubas didn't do that here. And as a result, now he's got a player on a good contract for a couple of years. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, now, going forward, he still kind of projects as a quasi-third pair guy. Yeah, like a 4-5. Right? Like, like, well, I, I mean that specifically for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have Riley Brody and... You know, despite people not liking Morgan Riley right now, I can assure you that he is not playing third pair minutes. No. Uh, and then you have Jordano Hall. And as much as people don't like Justin Hall at any point, uh, again, I can assure you he is not playing third pair minutes. Keith likes him and trusts him. Correct. Right? Um, Giordano, I mean, the Leafs might want to reduce his minutes in the back half of the year, keep him fresh with the playoffs. But, like, when games start mattering, I think push comes to shove. He is going to be trusted by Keith above Sandine. Um, and Hall will be trusted like above Lilligren again, barring further injuries. But I think I, at least, and I'm pretty sure Sheldon Keefe as well, is much more comfortable with the idea of promoting Sandine and Lilligren um, mm-hmm. based on what they showed in, in the sample where they, they had, uh, where they had to play bigger minutes, right? So if you look at their, their seasons all up, overall they faced average competition, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't gotten, they haven't been particularly sheltered um, that I've seen. They haven't, uh, been used in very weak leverage situations like, because at some point the Leafs had to trust them. They didn't really have any other option. And both Sandin and Lilligren have been some of the best play drivers on, on the team. Pairings with both of them have done, with either of them, I should say, have done very, very well. I think they are the Leafs' two best defensemen in RAPM. If they're not, they're two of the top three. Mm. 
so like th this season has gone about as well as it could in terms of their development i've kind of combined the two here but yeah like yeah. I, I think I, I have very similar thoughts on both of them yeah so we'll segue right into um uh timothy Liljegren. uh again that one didn't require as much patience he offered a deal Liljegren took it um Liljegren has been very satisfying to watch you know to see him come into his own as a very good right shot defenseman I think realistically next season, um, Justin Hall is probably going to go and get a little bit more money somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, Timothy Lilligren will become a full-time top four defenseman, is my guess. And depending on what happens with Mark Giordano, like Giordano's not going to stick around forever. No, he's signed for next season, but it's mm -hmm. just like he's already the oldest skater in the league. Um, and he's held up almost unbelievably well. But as we saw with Jason Spezza, it just nobody's immortal. So, yeah, th there will come a time where he has to cycle down a little bit. And maybe that that's when there's a transition to Sandine and Lilligren as a second pair. Long. Yeah, and I think basically yeah. the Leafs are going to have to get comfortable with that because I don't think they'll have another choice. This mm -hmm. season has made at least me more comfortable with that idea. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I gave him uh, what should have been a B-plus is what I meant to say on Sandine. Um, just because it's not that hard. Theoretically, to hold on to an RFA when nobody is offer shooting them, we see most teams do it. Still, well taken care of. Lilligren, I would give a B. I have them the wrong way around my notes because, again, all he had to do was put it out there. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have given them both A minuses, but I think I largely agree. The, the grades are really like kind of unimportant. They're, they're a little yeah. bit arbitrary. They're just but, a way of uh, like organizing our thoughts. But people like grades, you know, because otherwise exactly. it's just us rambling. Um, We're all about Timmons. the is, uh, is next on the list, and he was acquired in season for very large young man Curtis Douglas. Um, this segment is unfortunately timed for Connor Timmins because he hmm. had a really unfortunate game uh, against the Bruins, and he gave the puck away to noted guy you don't want to give the puck away to, David Pasternak, um, and it ended pretty badly. Um, yeah, that was rough. That was, uh, that was unfortunate. Yeah, situation. Like he he telegraphed that pass. It was also made a little bit more awkward by the fact that so he and Riley were on the ice together, mm -hmm. um, and I I didn't go back to see how this occurred. But basically, Timmins was on the left side of the offensive zone. Riley was on the right side. Mm -hmm. So they were like both on their offsides. This could have just happened because you know the Leafs are pretty mobile in the offensive zone, mm -hmm. um, or or it could have just been like a long change thing. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so like, Timmins took the puck on his on his backhand. He didn't really have room to like walk the line. Mm -hmm. So he like spun and like telegraphed. Okay, I am passing this across the D. Pasternak just jumped it like a corner jumping a, a route in the NFL, and yeah, took it to the house basically. Yeah, and you know, I, the Leafs have a very cycle-heavy offensive system. It counts on their ability to to pass around. I'm wondering if Timmins at some point in that process thought Riley was closer than he was. Um, and then saw that he wasn't, was like, okay, I'm committed. I'm just going to hammer this, and hopefully it gets there before one of the Bruins does. And if so, that isn't how it worked out, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, the Riley-Timmons pairing was not a great success. It is no, not that, something... was, that was a rough game for both. I, I mean, we talked about Riley last week, and no one looks good. I say this all the time, especially with defensemen. No one looks good when they're constantly fishing the puck out of their own net, and Riley's doing that a lot recently. Mm -hmm. um but he also just doesn't look good <laughs> no he's like he it's been rough since he came back from injury and we said this season shouldn't really change your opinion that much yet because it's been a small sample we know morgan Riley, the player we can say look it's been a tough 10 games or so since he came back from injury and that's not unexpected but yeah it, it's been difficult and again i i think that that unfortunately shades the connor timmons segment because before Saturday's game, I think pretty much every Leafs fan would have said, yeah, this has been kind of nice. Um, Timmins was showing pretty well as a respectable lower pair defenseman who can contribute offensively and was doing so. Um, and he's a right shot, which means that he gets little gold dust sprinkled on everything that he does and says. Um, again, I don't want to get carried away. He's like a third pair guy. It's just nice to have a competent third-paired guy in your lineup. And he is that, regardless of what happened against Boston. Um, he also had the lowest expected goals against of any Leafs defenseman, which I found kind of 
funny. Like, those numbers sometimes just happen. But, yeah. Make of that what you will. Um, Curtis Douglas, who we gave up for him, is kind of interesting if you want to see, like, what's the largest that a forward can be in professional hockey. He's six foot nine. Um, you know, maybe he'll turn into something. He's still young. Right now in the AHL, it's it looks like it's a long way away. So, we'll see. I don't think that I feel much concern about what we gave up to get Connor Timmins. So I gave it no, a B plus. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would I gave an A minus just on the principle that like if you get an NHL player effectively for free, mm-hmm. then yeah, I'm I'm really I'm not like I, I think that's just like kind of automatically an A. I've I've liked I've liked um Timmins a fair bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's been pretty excellent in transition in particular. Uh, the pairing with him and Brody feels like it's kind of a brick wall at um, our defensive blue line, which is like not a feeling I am used to having <laughs> watching the Leafs. I really enjoyed those two together. Um, I don't think they played together that much, but yeah, it, it's I, I I I quite like Timmins. I'm happy with him going forward. You know, I'm not at all worried if he's um, if he's on the ice. You know, let's not get carried away. Of course, he's not like a top four guy. Mm-hmm. necessarily at this point he maybe he grows into that but you know i, I think right now he's probably our 70 maybe or i actually don't know who um keith would prefer what if it was ben or him, if it came down to ben or him to to draw into a game um coaching stereotypes I would, would say ben but yeah yeah T- timmins has been notwithstanding again that damn game um he's been almost good enough that I think it's it's an open question. I mean, also, like, we, we haven't even really dwelt on it because we're famous for neglecting defenseman points, but he had 10 in 14 games, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if, if that number is still a little inflated, he was also contributing to it. So I think that that's to his credit. Also, I guess, since we are doing this through the lens of did Kyle Dubas make good choices, uh, this is one of those times we have to acknowledge Connor Timmons was, once again... Uh, one of those former Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds that mm-hmm. we've talked and memed about. But the reality is, the vast majority of those acquisitions seem to be paying out. Yeah, Dubas is batting like 800 on those guys. Like the, the, it's like I Nick Ritchie, Ritchie, and then all the rest of them are good. <laughs> was Simmons a Sioux? I mean, like Simmons, you could hardly count him as a Sioux guy, even if he played yeah. there, because his career has been so extensive. Yeah, it would have been too far back, I think, to really matter. And I think his Toronto... Um, background is probably a bigger factor although yes simmons was a sous saint marie greyhound in 0708 so <laughs> yeah I mean, dubas was like probably was involved at that point but not the gm because his family has been so tied up with the, the organization yeah. like yeah he was like a you know carrying water bottles at the rink when he was like six or something so anyway mm-hmm. but yeah the thing is is that we talked about dubas um having a tilt towards these players and yet as long as he's using it to identify good ones and acquire them, as he's been doing, you kind of got to say, well, I guess it's working. So Yeah, I mean, you kind of like roll your eyes at it, but like the only rule is it has to work. Exactly. So credit yeah. where it's due. Um, and that actually applies in the context of our next uh, discussion topic, which is Matt Murray. Um, yeah, and the goalies generally. So we, d- we didn't love this Murray deal, and there is mm-hmm. plenty of time to prove <laughs> us right. Please keep proving me wrong, Matthew Murray. Yes. Now, I will say this, and uh, I'll defend myself a little bit here and say my criticism of that trade was a little bit more nuanced. Because I said, look, he played 20 games last year, and he was pretty decent. But what I said was, one, I don't trust his health at all. And two, he's pretty expensive for a guy who seems like he's basically just another one of the goalie carousel guys who costs 2.5 to 3 million a year. Whereas Matt Murray, even retained, costs 4.7. Well, mm-hmm. mea culpa. So far, Matt Murray has been a good starting goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs in terms of his performance. Now, he still did get injured and miss a, missed a month. So that worry isn't entirely gone. But he's playing well enough now that I'm like, well, I'm good with him. Like, he's been a good starter. Um, right. I, I don't have a lot to, to yeah. add here. Um, Mur- Murray's been good. I mean, I can just kind of lump the goalies together because Samsonov falls into the same bucket for me. Mm-hmm. We signed him into a, a one by one point eight. Um, Samsonov actually uh, will be an RFA after this year, uh, mm-hmm. an RFA with Arbrights, which is sort of interesting. And, and he kind of wanted to bet on himself, reportedly. 
which is sort of understandable thing for him to want to do. The, the Goldies have simultaneously be, been far better than I expected and have given me zero confidence of that continuing going forward. And that really probably says more about me and about goaltending than them. Like, I, th- I don't mm-hmm. think they could have done anything in this half a season that would make me feel very confident about them going forward just because, like, I don't know, unless you have, like, a kind of no doubt about it high-end goaltender, it's hard to feel confident about your goaltending. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even if you have a no doubt about it high-end goaltender, you don't feel confident in your goaltending. Um, yeah. The one thing that looks very good in terms of the moves that Dubis has made on the goaltending front and we haven't mentioned like the the, the trade for a uh, Petter Mrazek here mm. um, to like salary dump him in exchange for dropping down from 25 to 38 or something like that yeah. but like the goalies that Dubis has chosen to let go are sucking this year and the yeah. goalies that cho- Dubis has acquired are doing well this year even independent of their teams yes and so yeah so I'll say I, I was fine moving on from Jack Campbell. And oh, I actually, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I feel a little, I feel bad for him. Because, like, we all want to dunk on the Oilers. Um, we might even do it today. But uh, at the same time, I'm like, I feel like he's a nice guy. And he's just getting the shit kicked out of him in Edmonton right now. And I'm like, man, hmm. I, <laughs> I hope they give up on him and trade him somewhere on the West Coast to, like, I don't know, Anaheim or something. And then he has, like, a nice couple of years feel like he deserves it um but that said yeah giving up on campbell right choice and mrazek who i kind of thought might bounce back um now he's gone to one of the worst teams i've ever seen um it is staggering just how bad chicago is and we knew they would be bad but wow they're really leaning into it um but he mrazek's been awful so mrazek's had whatever the opposite of a dead cat bounces it's like a dead cat Tar- burrowing to the core of the earth <laughs> like it really... reveals that there's like a structural problem in like the pavement and it collapses under the cat and it just goes yeah <laughs> yeah it's been horrible he had a game recently where i think he led in like six of the first seven shots or something like that seattle like, yeah 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 and it's it was like, terrible the only thing that i i do wonder about is how do you evaluate a goaltender when everyone on a franchise wants to die and that's yeah. basically where the Hawks are at. So I'm like, I don't know. Do you think everyone's given 110% in practice at this point? Like, I Probably don't. not. I mean, I, I think Max Domi's probably just waiting to get traded. Yes. Um, Patrick Kane might just be waiting to get traded. If they're not, I don't know what's going on, really. Like, I mean, unless yeah. they just don't want to move. Um, also, um, a, a disgusting thought is you know where Patrick Kane would look quite strong on the ice, a team that could insulate him from his, from his really bad defense? Don't say it. Uh, Boston. Mm. And I don't know if Boston can afford it, but they're paying Patrice Bergeron like only $3 million this year to have a 74% expected goals percentage. Fucking prick. <laughs> God, it's so obnoxious. I, 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 hate, is... I hate how much that... I hate that whole situation so much. Like I can't, I don't can't blame them for it or anything. Like, no, it is what it is. But he, he's like too good for being however old he is, thirty-seven or whatever, it's and making obscene. three million dollars. Yeah, he's still like Boston is the class of the NHL right now, and I don't like it any better than you do. But like, I don't think it's deniable. And the Leafs, you know what? Like a dirty little secret with all the panic that seems to stem around the Leafs. The Leafs have been visibly the better team. Against, like, most of the teams they've played. I would say a solid majority. And mm-hmm. almost no one they've come up against have I thought this team is better than Toronto. Sometimes Toronto just didn't show up. But by and large, I was like, the Leafs are at least as good and probably better. With Boston, I'm like, Boston might be a better team than we are. And yeah, I mean, I think the yeah. Leafs are... I think Boston's like clearly been the best team in the league. And I think the Leafs are in that, like... I would say the next... Four, maybe five, have been in some order: Carolina, New Jersey, Toronto, Tampa, Vegas. I know, Winnipeg has the same points percentage as the Leafs, Whatever. and and a higher goal differential actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I feel bad saying this because like goaltending is part of a team, and they are paying for goaltending. Like they they have yeah. a guy who they can expect to get good goaltending out of. But I still don't really take them totally seriously yet. Yeah, um, I I'm gonna be real. I don't. I don't think. 
Like I, I like you, it, you you just think they're Hellebuck, right? Basically, I do. I do. They're Hellebuck yeah. and a bunch of guys who can counterattack. And Josh Morrissey now has fifty five points, and I don't give a shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like I I'm really I'm rooting against Winnipeg pretty pretty hard at this point, just to save face for myself. Really, <laughs> I'm I, committed I just, now. This yeah, is the dangerous I, I, thing: is when you take an opinion and you you lock yourself into it. You, it's hard to back away. It it, it is, and like. They're not like they're not horrific or anything like that. No, they're but... like a middling team, I mm-hmm. think. With a, they're a middling team with a top three goalie on the planet. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, Sam Sonoff again. We're not sufficiently strong goalie analysts to say a lot about what he's doing. He's had like four very off nights, and he's been really, really good the rest of the time. And I feel a little bit like maybe the four off nights. Seem to have weighed down analysis of him a little bit because you look at him and you're still like, he's been at least a really really good one B on net on the season. Maybe people don't think it'll continue, which is fair. But yeah, yeah. Going back to the Jets, one reason I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm like slightly out on them. They've won seven overtime games. Yeah, you see, that's always um, a bit of a signifier. And you know, by contrast, the Leafs have won, have lost a shit ton of overtime games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've won like one. Uh, if I recall correctly, um, anyway. uh, they've, the Leafs have won three overtime games. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, at least I, I'm, I'm now on the NHL.com website. No, well, they we have 23 know. regulation wins and 26 regulation or overtime wins. Oh God, I, I gotta watch it now. This is what happens when I freelance a little bit too much on the air. I start like Kipriosing, where I'm just yeah. like saying feelings that I've had. All right, so <laughs> just I apologize. Wrong about yeah. something. <laughs> it happens to us all. Yeah, I, I I just made up a number for Josh Morrissey's point total. By the way, I have no idea how many points he has. It's just he has point. a lot. Of, he has a lot of points. Yeah, okay, so ballpark. Yeah, I apologize to our listeners. I did research most of this segment, at least a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just started free balling at the end. Um. Yeah. So I think, like, on net, you have to say Dubas is doing a pretty good job i think at building a supporting cast like we said there's there was a swing and a miss that doesn't really matter in nak it like it matters in the sense that you tried something and it didn't work for a little bit but there are no long-term consequences once he's gone mm-hmm. so yeah i'd like there uh kevin papetti who has written at pension land puppets and who now writes for maple leafs hot stove and who contributes to the athletic um he had an article saying the leafs ought to extend kyle dubas and I found it persuasive. I think it. I think they should. Like, we've talked about this before, but you can't build a team in the modern NHL that's an 80% favorite over the Tampa Bay Lightning. So knowing that, I think you have to say, okay, he's built a team that could beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, that can play them at least even. I think that that's pretty respectable, and he's the guy I want making decisions going forward. That's not going to happen. They've been pr- very clear he has to win a round. So. Right. I mean... I think the biggest, the biggest criticism I, I have of Dubas right now, like I think the the contract that is the most problematic that he signed is the Riley one, mm-hmm. and I think there's some danger of him falling in love with his guys past the point of, you know, we past the point that they should. I'm always reminded of this this Tulski quote where he basically says that like. Teams, by their nature, acquire players that they are higher on than the rest of the league, because that's why they acquire them. Right. Right. They they like this player, um, and I think the Leafs, to some extent, fell into that not necessarily trap, but like fell into that line of thinking with a guy like Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, saying that Riley certainly would have gotten his deal and possibly more on the open market, but on the whole, yeah, I, I you take Dubas and you replace him with random GM X. Like, you just randomly swap Dubas with a GM from one of the other 31 teams. I think we get dumber more often than not. I think so. And by the way, and this is something that I think is very important, um, no GM is infallible, Hmm. and any GM who gets talked about that way will eventually prove that it's kind of silly. And that doesn't mean that they aren't good. But Looking at you, Detroit fans. Yeah, I'm talking about Steve Eiserman, who I think is a good GM. But oh my god... The Detroit Red Wings fan base treats him like he's Jesus Christ. And, like, 
this guy signed Ben Sherratt for no fucking reason. And Ben Sherratt stinks. You know, and he, he's doing it again, as he did previously. It was a bad decision. And, well, and, and I mean, so Prashant Iyer, who's a, a good follow on Twitter, a Red Wings uh, fan and writer, very, very knowledgeable about the team and about hockey generally, has, has tweeted recently about this as it relates to Iserman. And I think this has come up because the Red Wings recently waived Alex Natalkovich, who they acquired two summers ago, I believe, in a trade that a lot of people were like, oh, what is Carolina doing here? And then, to our credit, I'm going to tune our horn here. We were like, eh, Nadelkovich doesn't have that much of a track record. And mm-hmm. Carolina has, like, the most information on him or more than any other team, and they're pretty smart. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was our take. We, 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 we were, like, kind of surprised, but also like, ah, oh, when you look at this, this kind of makes sense for Carolina. Yeah, like, they um, were offloading a certain amount of risk there, that Nadelkovich yeah. was a flash in the pan. Um Eisenman did, and like, again, I'm not trying to bag on him specifically, but he did have a quote um, after making the trade, like right after in July 2021, where he said, you're going to have to ask them why they were comfortable doing that, mm-hmm. referring to Carolina's end, which seems a bit pointed. And a ton of people were like, oh, slam from Stevie Y. And it's like, I don't know, man. Sometimes the other guys are smart, too. And Carolina's made mistakes. Look at the Kanye yeah. contract. Uh, you know, like, this is true all the way up and down. Um, and it's just something to keep in mind. So, yeah, like, absolutely. And but again, like, I think Steve Eisenman is doing a fine job. But, like, definitely you should not treat any GM as infallible. And I learned that lesson the hard way from Brian Burke. Mm. So. But, yeah, I mean, on the whole, I think Dubas' offseason acquisitions, you look back on them, they've been pretty good. And yeah. the ones that have been problematic are, like, not that consequential. Mm-hmm. Even taking a pretty pessimistic view of Kali Yankro, which is the longest-term deal here, like, it's not that big a deal. He's eminently tradable in the last couple years of his deal, for sure. I, I, I mean, he probably has, like, a no-trade clause because everyone does on the Leafs, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, you you know what, if you are going to knock Dubas for something, you can say, boy, he gives out a lot of those. Yarn uh, does have a no trade modified no trade class, ten Excellent. team no trade list. Of course he does. Um, yeah, and so I don't know. I, th- I think you can you can actually say that that's a bit dicey. I don't know if Dubas has like a, a hidden expectation that he can persuade players to waive. Um, it could be. So, mm, but yeah, something to think about. Anyway, by and large, you know, we think he's he's not perfect, but he's a good GM. So, um. We were going to just, like, briefly make fun of the Edmonton Oilers. Mm. Like, this is mostly just us keeping in practice. Look, it's a long season. Sometimes you forget to make fun of the Edmonton Oilers if you don't make time to. It's important to go to the fundamentals. Exactly. Like, this is our equivalent of putting in some time on the penalty kill. You know, Mm. like, just making sure that we're in position and doing what we need to do. Which is laughing because the Edmonton Oilers are just in a little bit of danger of missing the playoffs. And they probably will make it, but... It would be so funny if they didn't. It w- I mean, <laughs> the thing, the thing, there, there's a new lottery rules, which would prevent them from, like, I think, winning the lottery. Unless they, like, because you can only move up 10 spots or something like that, right? Yeah, so, so if they narrowly miss, then it doesn't help. Yeah. Which, um, which we'll be grateful for, because it probably means Florida won't give Montreal a Bedard pick, but, yeah. Yeah, the other thing is that they need to um, make a move to become cap compliant when Evander Kane returns. That's kind of remarkable. And... I mean, you know, Yessi Puyo-Yarvi has been traded out of Edmonton 400 times already. Um, <laughs> I would kind of like him on the Leafs, honestly. I, I, think he, I think he would be a pretty good fit in the bottom six. He, he doesn't have much finishing talent. That, he's an everything but the finish player. But we compare him with noted sniper Pierre Engel. <laughs> so I was just I thinking, he... you know what this bottom six needs is more guys who are all-around solid players who don't score. Yeah. But... <laughs> But I get the appeal. Like, I think he's a good player. Yeah, and, it, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's not really like he fills a particular need for us. Like, I don't think he would really be, you know, our second line left wing or mm. anything like that. But um, I, it's more of just like, oh, I think he's a good player. Yeah, um, so do I. Um, now, the, the Oilers have spoiled our fun a little bit by winning three in a row. And they mm-hmm. are uh, hanging on to the last wild card spot. That is with Colorado out of a playoff spot, though. And Colorado has had a really brutal start to the year. 
It has. I mean, there, there does sort of need to be a point where we kind of wonder about Colorado a little. Yeah, we do. Um, that said, they do seem to have kind of gone with the, and I took that personally meme lately, mm. because they've nuked a couple of teams. So maybe this is them kind of returning to form a little bit. Yeah, they won yeah. 6-3, and uh, they absolutely curb stomped the Senators, um, like 7 nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe that's more the Colorado that we know, but it at least raises the possibility of bumping out the Oilers. Yes. And this is in spite of the fact that Connor McDavid is having an absolutely batshit productive season. Mm-hmm. Like, he might get to 150 points, which is not something you really saw um, once the dead puck era started or have seen since. Yes. Um, and it's incredible. We were talking about this before we went on, about how it's a little tricky to talk about Connor McDavid because, okay, like, look, he's the best player in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, his ability to score on the rush is maybe the most unstoppable weapon. At some time, like, he will get three or four steps and just go, and there will be very little anyone can do about it. Um, and that's really impressive. He's also the best power play player in the world. By a lot. By a lot. It's kind of weird, though. His teams don't do as well 5v5 with him on as you might expect yes and again this is where we have to be very careful yeah that he's we the don't best get, player like, in the world it's like but... he is. <laughs> however <laughs> there's a nick on the ferrari on yeah. the bumper. skip skip i want to address the issue <laughs> <laughs> you know i am sensitive to Connor mcdavid's talent <laughs> but yeah. yes i mean the, when you look at that's really it like he hasn't driven 5v5 goal differential to a degree that vastly exceeds what other elite players have done on a year-on-year basis. Like, if you compare Matthews, like, keep it simple, 5v5, like, relative to team goal differential. Mm-hmm. Matthews, over the past, like, few years, is pretty much the same as McDavid's. The thing is, McDavid is, like, way, way, way better than Matthews on the power play. Not even close. Yeah, and Matthews like, is, like, not, is a good power play player. It's just McDavid, as, as we said, is the absolute best in the world. No questions asked on, with a man advantage. Yeah, and, like, the Oilers have consistently had a top, top power play. Right now, they're at, like, 31%, which, if they sustain it, will be the best since, I think, 1979, um, <laughs> which is just bonkers. And which, so, I, I'm assuming that 1979 was, like, the 70s Senator, or sorry, 70s Canadians or something, which was, like, yeah. the, the team that made it so that when you scored on a power play, the power play ended, because otherwise <laughs> it was too unfair. Yeah, like, they were an insane dynasty. Like, it, yeah, it was like eight Hall of Famers coached by Scotty Bowman, which, um, you know, just as an aside, Scotty Bowman had a real knack for picking his teams. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so well, I'm not ragging on McDavid so much, but it's just kind of staggering. When I looked last week, so this may have become a little bit out of date, but it was true then. Um, the Oilers were getting outscored five on five whenever McDavid and Dreisaitl weren't both on even when one of them was on that wasn't enough the Oilers were still getting outscored now with McDavid on by himself it was some weird stuff was going on in terms of his line mates not finishing on his chances we yeah know, it's been sort of weird yeah uh, like and I yeah, don't, I don't think Connor it. McDavid is bad at setting up his line mates I gotta tell you so, yeah but still it's like it's it's remarkable and it says something I think about this team that has a totally inadequate defense um and they they do miss Evander Kane on the ice because he's a very good compliment to McDavid. But it's like, I always come back to the same question, which is like, why is the bar so low in Edmonton, especially for the GM? And uh, when they were scuffling recently, Mark Spector had an article that basically said, you know what's wrong with Edmonton is that the players are wusses. And they don't have, like they, like, they can't beat you by fighting and hitting you. Um, which is just... Which also, I don't even think is true. They, like, they... They hit a, mod, a like, a moderate amount, and they fight towards the low end of the NHL by rate. So. I, I don't I don't think of them as, like, a soft team at all, though. Like, Nurse is tough. Dreisaitl was, like, kind of dirty, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, and, like, Evander Kane is no better Roses to play against. Like... Yeah, Hyman know, is tough. Like, yeah. I, I don't... I, I don't think of, like, Nugent Hopkins as a wallflower, either. No, and like, like he's not super physical or anything, but like I just don't, I don't think he's like soft. 
No, like, and the thing is, though, is that you do have to remember that Mark Spector is always mentally in 1985. And mm. so, by the standards of the 80s, like, no one fights anymore or hits right. anymore. Like, it's just, it's a different game. Um, I Like, there were, there were probably guys who, in a full season, would have, you know, 20-plus fights, um, which is what the, the Flyers were leading the league with when I checked. Mm-hmm. You know, as a team. Um, by the way, yeah, the, the top team in both hits and fights was the Philadelphia Flyers, who were in, like, 24th, so mm. infer from that what you will. But, yeah, anyway, I just thought we would check in and say, like, isn't it weird, the situation that the Oilers are in? You know, they have McDavid doing, you know, frankly, miracles in terms of mm. point production, and he's, you know, Dressidal, who is exceptional in his own right, is being carried up with him. Like, he's going to win the Art Ross. He probably will be so far ahead that they have to give him the Hart Trophy, even if the Oilers do miss the playoffs. And like, he is a... I, I'd say he has a very good chance of winning the Rocket as well. Yeah, like, which is bananas. You know, like, it's him and Pasternak right now. Um, right, Robertson's cooled off. Yeah. Um, and yet, here we are having this conversation, and isn't that odd? So, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't a full making fun of the Oilers segment, but it's just a little bit to keep in practice. Yes, we'll, we'll have a making fun of the Senators segment too as well. <laughs> yeah, we got to line one of those up. <laughs> all right, so I think that's everything. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at PensionPlanPuppets.com. You can follow us on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. We'll see you next week.